Hello everybody, welcome back to another show. I'm delighted to be joined by Massimo Palloni, Chief Operations and Innovation Officer at Bulgari. He is a man who I highly respect for having a very objective and very clear view on the role of innovation and technology in the areas of fashion and luxury. Massimo, thank you so much for joining. How are you doing today? Very well, and thank you, Anthony, for having me here today. Appreciate that. Are you nearly ready for Christmas? Is it accelerating towards the buffers? How are you feeling this week? Yeah, very well. Final rush and um, last presents maybe tomorrow. <laughs> and then very we go good. with the family. Well, when you work for an organization like Bulgari, it's hard not to have some inspiration for the things that you might want to buy for your loved ones. <laughs> Although the budget may be a little bit different to compare to some what other different. people. Sure. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to have a wide ranging discussion around the role of technology, specifically around luxury. And I know from, from Bulgari's past and from us speaking in, in previous conversations that there have been a number of different experiments, a number of very innovative and very exciting uses of a very various different technology. Obviously, from my perspective, I'm biased, so I want to hear about the blockchain and Web3 stuff. But I'd like us to have a, a wide ranging or broad discussion also around the role that you see technology playing in luxury. I think if you look at the commentary, the analysis, the hype maybe around Web3 and blockchain technology specifically, we've we've seen a move from decentralized finance and digital assets into the idea of luxury and fashion and more examples of technology being used in luxury and fashion with big brands making announcements and, and collaborations or early stage explorations to the technology. So I'd love to hear your take on that. So if you wouldn't mind, just give us a couple of minutes on your background. What's your role within Bulgari? And how do you get involved with the technology side of things? Well, um, I am Chief Operation and Chief Innovation Officer in Bulgari, which means that uh, um, in my organization, I am responsible for global supply chain, information technology, and uh, innovation and transformation team. Um, these uh, three departments, they are part of what we call innovation and operation business unit. Um, and, and, and we really believe that um, supply chain and information technology are uh, the, probably the only real end-to-end -end departments and they are instrumental for a digital transformation. But today we focus more on innovation, so the innovation and, and transformation team, which is quite new, actually. We have established uh, almost two years ago, uh, I would say, pioneer and visionary approach of our CEO, that it's important to, to create a department like this, which doesn't want to be, as I told you already, doesn't want to be the minister of innovation, but it wants to be an element that is hacking the organization and is creating, a, is connecting the dots to help the organization to look at how technology can create a, a alternative or additional business models or, in, let me say, improve the, the customer experience. So um, the, our, our view of innovation uh, is that, uh, I mean, we have a clear mission, even if whatever we're talking today is a moving target, hype, uh, big disillusionment, uh, and, and so on. But we really want to be uh, <clears throat> able to, to see, to guide, and to support the rest of the organization in defining ideas, uh, business models, implement actions that deliver innovation, transformation, digitalization, quality, productivity, whatever, but always with an obsession in mind. It has to be in line with the elevation of the brand and with the elevation of the customer experience. We never look at technology just because they are popular. We try to use technologies only if put together, they create something important. An example could be I think we are like a, a, we would like to be like a, a three-star Michelin chef. At the end of the day, the way of cooking is very similar. The ingredients are always the same ingredients, but what is important is the storytelling. What is important is the heritage. Well, how you deliver the additional story that goes beyond the, the food or goes beyond the product. So 
what we are trying to do as a department is to find uh, the sweet spot between the client, between the technology, and of course, the business. It has to be something that makes sense. We are not a no-profit organization. So more or less, this is what uh, our, that's our mission, let me say. You've got no shortage of visibility on what's actually going on inside the organization if you cover supply chain, technology, and innovation altogether, right? It's actually being able to, to encompass or to have an innovation portfolio that spreads across those three areas, I think, gives you a more objective view. And that, that last point you made around saying that the innovation has to pay for itself. There's no limitless pot of investment for technology. There's no unlimited fund to go and explore everything. We need to see commercial return. I think that's that's important for people to realize and for people to hear. So... It wouldn't be me if I didn't start asking to, you, to get your perspective on Web3, blockchain, the metaverse, sp specific technologies from specific areas of innovation. But over the last couple of years, how have you and how have Bulgari been thinking about these three particular domains? Let me start telling you that uh, um, Web3, blockchain, metaverse, they are part probably of uh, a a hype uh, that uh, is uh, and was especially last year in a, a moment of extreme popularity in some cases even for the wrong reason no? the mo most of the popular last year the, the buzzword was nft and uh, it was mainly pushed and driven by uh, this crazy evaluation of nfts connected to art and uh, <clears throat> this hype actually is now changing completely and doesn't mean that it's completely gone on uh, in the reality it's becoming something even more uh, important for brands it's becoming future of loyalty future of crm it's becoming a different way to uh, add an additional layer to the interaction with the customer so when we look at all these three elements web3 blockchain and uh, and, um, and and metaverse whatever metaverse is going to be uh, i think the, the main point for us is that um, I come back to the main point that a luxury brand is not selling only a product. I mean, when you go to and you decide, and I hope that you guys will all come to our stores, but when you start this uh, experience, first you go, uh, in, you go to the store, and the store is normally located in the best uh, uh, district of the cities. When you enter the store, the store is magnificent. Um, the, the salespeople are welcoming you, are pumping you, I and mean, all the experience is perfect. I think every brand today is mastering the ceremony of sales. But the reality, well, why we do all of this? Because apart from the object that you buy, you have an experience. And the experience is what really remains to you. And that's what makes the difference and what to make you a luxury uh, customer experience. So we believe that with all this technology, we have to be able to uh, reboot, let me say, the storytelling. Because storytelling, it's key. It's so important. When you buy a ring, let me say, or a necklace, most, if you look at uh, the, uh, the characteristics of the product, but even, let me say, the raw materials, I mean, my gold is not better than my competitor, uh, even diamonds. So the main point is that uh, you buy storytelling, you buy a purpose. Um, there is a sign, there is a design that comes from the heritage. So we have to be able to tell all these stories. Now, with, with the, let me say, a little bit of massification of, uh, of luxury, how many times you have seen the queue outside a luxury store, no? So people come to the store and they buy the product, but they really want the experience. So all these technologies, open a lot of new possibilities. And, and, and it is important that uh, we keep on telling the stories, uh, but understanding that the, the, the side of the people change. The way that they, they want the story to be told is different. Uh, give you an example that I, I, I keep on, on telling in, in our organization. Uh, if you look at any um, business that is based on storytelling or let me say intellectual property, um, it has to change the way you tell the story. The way you sell a Beatles um, record in the 60s or the way you sell it today, it's completely different. You have now the possibility with the technology to enhance that experience much more. Or look at uh, uh, cinemas. Uh, 
uh, I don't know, but you are much younger than me. But when I, I used to go to see, to watch the movie of the first Superman, I mean, I, I was there because the guy was able to fly. So the most part of the storytelling was that uh, there was a special effect and everybody was trying to look, what, what is the rope that sustained the guy? But the last Superman is a guy with a, uh, with a middle-aged crisis. He doesn't know he belongs to crypto or to, to herd. And we don't look at the technology anymore because we leave the technology for granted. So what we do with the, all these technologies, we want to enhance the storytelling. We want to, to add either an experience to the customer or an experience to the product. But you have to be extremely careful the way you do it. Because the, the way you use this technology, it has always to be aligned with your DNA. Um, if I were a, 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 food, a, a sportwear company, I probably have an overlapping of my uh, customer base, overlapping a lot, so let me say the Web3 community. Then if you go in fashion, okay, maybe a bit, bit less. But when you go to luxury, because of, of the type of product, because of the price point, probably this overlapping is less. So you have to be extremely careful. You might use the wrong language. So our mission is to be sure that the usage of this technology, Web3, blockchain, and, and, and metaverse is um, aligned with uh, the value proposition. That is the key. Really important way to frame it as well, because you, you, Borgatti has this huge long history. If, if, you, if you imagine technology companies, even the Googles, fa Facebooks, Metas of the world have kind of 10, 15 years you know, worth of recent history that people make brand associations or product associations with. Bulgari has, I'm assuming, hundreds of years of history. More than that... 140 years, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, oh, yes, should, um... yeah. And so, so the, the, the heritage, the protection of that brand is, is very, very important. I think also that I like the fact that you mentioned the segments of the customers because in some cases, luxury customers do seek out innovation, do seek out something new, something different, something nobody has. But you know, you, you also mentioned you know, jewelry customers or traditional customers who probably aren't necessarily highly technologically savvy, have different perspectives on things and may not relate or be able to engage with a digital user experience that may be more complicated than they're used to. And so you've, you've got a lot of different segments, behaviors, drivers, and then obviously commercial incentives to feed in there, which I think is important for people to realize. Of course, all these technologies, they open for us a lot of new opportunities. Uh, blockchain, uh, trustability, the possibility of uh, giving a very transparent uh, disclaimer where our raw materials are coming from, um, or activate uh, uh, with uh, um, an after-sales experience that can be much more important. Um, of course, even introducing avatars, it's another uh, question. Or if we want to be part of digital products, at the moment, you see many fashion companies that have decided to have not only <clears throat> the physical product, but also giving you the famous skin that you can wear in whatever metaverse you want. This is something that, for example, there are still a lot of technology barriers, we can't do that because a ring is very small. You need a, a level of how many polygons we can use, how many patterns. So of course we have to respect now the product. We have to respect that the product is the core of what we do. And if in a digital product, we cannot provide the same experience, okay, that's not the technology that uh, uh, it was to use for us. Um, uh, wallets. Wallets open a, a fantastic new opportunity because wallets really establish a one-to-one -one connection between the brand and the fan of the brand. And we can interact with them in a totally different way. I would say that uh, the biggest uh, opportunity that I see in all these technologies is that uh, it's a strong step ahead versus the digital e-commerce experience. Um, Luxury brands, fashion brands, but mainly luxury brands, they were probably the last to really jump into the e-commerce. Um, if you look at uh, even only 10 years ago, <clears throat> most of the brands were using marketplaces 
or they were using a total outsourcing uh, operation of e-commerce. Today, everybody has its own .com and even more because of, of the omnichannel strategy, even the operations of e-commerce are managed within the Maison. So it is important that uh, finally we can move from this fantastic uh, uh, segment of business that's e-commerce, but somehow only e-commerce uh, could, it's a bi-dimensional experience. It kills the magic of going to the store. And if you look at all the, the dot-com of every brand, more or less, they are all beautiful crafted, but they're very similar. And even the way that we interact uh, in social media, I mean, we know Gardner is telling us that 90% uh, of customers think that uh, we all communicate the same way. So Web3 goes much beyond the personalization that you have on the suggestions on, on, on e-commerce. It really gives the possibility to add dimension to the products or dimension to the store or to have really a dedicated one-to-one -one environment where you can make feel the customer special. Of course, we are all in a learning curve. We are all experimenting and we have to be careful because we have to manage the hype and we have to try to do projects during the hype, but then we have to overcome the disillusionment and how we do overcome the disillusionment only doing things where the reason why must be extremely clear. Why I am doing this? Who am I talking to? What? am I going to do in order to communicate or to enhance the customer experience? I know all this, what I'm saying might look naive, but in reality, this is the core of the questions that a brand has to ask in order to drive innovation. I don't think those are naive questions at all. I think those are very pragmatic questions. And maybe sometimes when you see certain events or certain promotions or certain representations of technology, that quality of thinking or that objectivity sometimes gets lost because we're very excited that we're able to do something new, but then the sustainability of that innovation or the practicality of it becomes quite challenging. I love that you mentioned e-commerce and wallets, for example, because when you get into Web3, those two things become very different. Even you mentioned the representation of e-commerce as a fulfillment channel, right? This is just somewhere where somebody goes to buy something and it gets shipped. That's the, a limited perspective of the potential of e-commerce, e-commerce being a centralized brand or entity controlled digital environment. You know, if you just treat that as a fulfillment channel, that's what it will be. If you create your omni-channel, your multiple digital touch points that engage with customers where they are, using their mobile phones, using headsets, using earphones, using augmented reality, you can make it into an incredibly engaging and personalized experience, but it's going to cost you a lot of money to do so. But yes. the, the, the point is, can you, know, can you enable that if, if you have the imagination to do it? When it comes to Web3, though, the principles are different. And I think we saw a big battle over the last, let's call it 10 years or so, around the wallet, right? having the app, having the place where once you've bought a product, there's a direct channel between you and the brand. And when you're in that wallet, you can have your receipts, you can have your customer service, you can have offers, you can have communication. But it was very rarely ever executed well, because generally speaking, customers never actually in the wallet at least your wallet in isolation. If I have a Bugatti wallet or if I have a Starbucks wallet, I'm only really in that wallet when I'm gonna go buy a coffee. The rest of the time, leave me alone, right? I don't wanna be here and I don't want you to tell me things. And with Web3, it's quite different because the wallet is, is your gateway to many things. It's not a Bulgari wallet, it's not a Starbucks wallet, it's my wallet for everything. Or maybe I have multiple different wallets. And from that wallet, brands may get to infer different things about me what other tokens I hold, what NFTs I hold, what proof of attendances that I have, how much crypto I hold. Should I link my Bulgari engagement to the amount of crypto I hold in a hot wallet? You know, that's a risky strategy, but from a customer mm -hmm. relationship management perspective, you immediately then know who's a whale and who isn't. But the openness, the interconnectivity, the, like you said, being able to put digital Bulgari products into many open metaverses is super exciting as a concept but it requires a very different innovation mindset, I suspect. And talking about innovation mindset, I think one of the main problems that uh, 
especially luxury organizations or fashion organizations have, is that uh, innovation is not uh, a process, it's not, uh, yes, it's not part of the normal process of a company. A company is made of budgets, three of them, uh, a moment where you try to plan everything and then you execute. The problem of innovation is that uh, how much do you know about the next month, about the next three months? So I could, uh, I could, I could know what is going to happen maybe in the next three, four months. But with this speed of uh, uh, process and adoption of technology, it's extremely difficult. So you have to convince a, a traditional company that anyway is making probably ninety-five percent of the revenues in the traditional way that there are opportunities. But the challenge of people working in innovation is to convince and try to bend the process in a way that there's a ability to, um, to take the opportunity when the technology is ready, which you don't know one year before or three years before. That is extremely important. That's why it's a cultural shift. And that's why we have created you know, a dedicated team that is doing this cultural shift. The other big thing, in my opinion, is also that Web3 is extremely um, regionalized and extremely based on completely different ecosystem. What is happening in China in Web3 is completely different from what happened in Korea, which is different from what happening in, in, uh, in Japan or in the Western countries. So in reality, while the .com more or less, apart from languages, and some rules, but is all the same, Web3 has to be interpreted and understood not only by the top of the company, but by everyone. And every region has to play its own game. But at the same time, everybody has to be extremely careful because a brand is basically based on the value of the brand. And anything you do that is exposing the brand or is exposing the customer, if it's not coherent with the brand positioning, you can damage the brand. So it's a lot of flexibility. It's a lot of opportunity, but I have to say also a lot of challenges. For so sure. that's another aspect that it's, for a company is extremely challenging. And this is the stuff that I, I want people to hear. This is exactly the conversation that I wanted to bring you on to talk about, not least of which because you you sit you know at the at the kind of the center of the three critical domains within Bulgari, right? You see supply chain, the trucks, wagons, manufacturing, production, raw materials, cost of goods, the you know maybe the less sexy but critically important part of the business. You see IT, and you feel that constant tension between wanting to do something fun and interesting versus optimizing for the minimum amount of maintenance, the minimum amount of complexity, the maximum amount of uptime, security, manageability, not needing to have a development team of 10 million people to maintain all of the different properties you're trying to run, and then innovation, where all the exciting, futuristic, what could be possible stuff happens, but needs to be tempered with those two other things. And, and, and so your perspective on Web3 innovation and how technology and luxury fits I feel is probably one of the most informed that anybody's going to get because you've got to cover all of those three bases just in your day job. I don't know where you find the time. No, no, yes. It, of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a problem, but it's also an opportunity because when you have leverages, it's, it's much easier. It is clear that having information technology in the same family helps a lot because it, at least it is one less fight. You know, the problem of the people who wants to create a, a hack in, 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 in culture, is that, uh, especially in a field like uh, uh, Web3 and so on, everybody has its own opinion, which is correct. And everything you do, I mean, you have, first you have to convince. And even if you, you test, because we have to test and fail, in reality, when we say test and fail is good, I mean, eh, it's not so good because the company doesn't like failures, but you have to be ready to accept a certain number of failures. And uh, the moment you do something, uh, you will always be uh, very much uh, open to criticism. So you have to be, first, you have to convince that there is a shift, a culture shift, and then you can implement. Another thing that I think is extremely important when we talk, uh, I mean, our point of view on this is that 
we are fighting in a world where all our competitors are as rich as we are. So they have enough resources to buy the best possible tools. And how do you gain an advantage here? Only if you have a structured approach to innovation. You have to be sure that your innovation is complex because it cannot be replicated by everyone. It has to be a certain number of different technologies and experiences are put together. It has to be inimitable, at least for a shortened period. No? It has to be coherent with your value proposition. But the most important thing, it has to be somehow structured. You need a team who is able to seed. You need a team who is able to help people to prototype. And then you get to the industrialization. But if you don't do this, maybe you do something good, but you were lucky to do it by chance. We want to be able to repeat the innovation. It has to be a continuous mindset of the company. And this is the real challenge if you want to be successful in these three uh, uh, aspects like uh, metaverse, uh, uh, web three and so on. And this is the only way that you can overcome either a huge hype or a disillusionment. And you have to explain because you are a translator. In the company, how many people know that NFTs transactions today, there are more transactions of higher value than in the past. Because in the past, we were only looking at uh, the hype of art. But in reality, if you look now, the NFTs with embedded uh, utilities from brands, they are going up. And there are, they are, are even more drops than in the past. People don't see this. So you also have to help them to understand that uh, it, 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 it's a continuous uh, um, effort to get the best from the technology. You know, actually, innovation, especially in luxury company, is a question of paradoxes. Uh, so you have to manage uh, uh, these tests, the ability to do things quickly, you know, but at the same time, you, know, you, you need to be enough patient to see the technology find its own way. You have to be able to give direction for the top, but you have to also uh, listen uh, to the collectivity of the people who can innovate. I mean, you always have to uh, manage trade-offs. That is the real challenge, is not to be the most uh, uh, knowledgeable person in, in Web3, because it's a moving target. Whatever is in the hype today, it won't be in hype tomorrow. We have to be able to surf all these waves. And I, like I think that. that's what we've done so far is in line with that. I've got to try and wind back because I think there are about three or four or five really powerful points in there. You know, not, not least of which it's not my job to be the best at Web3, but it's about translation. The art of storytelling, I think, weaves itself throughout there, you know, the externally to the, to the customers in the market. But as you said, internally, trying to, without getting overly technical, educate the internal stakeholders on the potential of what's happening. And I really liked... Well, I don't know if I liked, but I can empathize with the failure point that you made, that, that organizations typically have a very low tolerance for failure. I see this outside as well in the general comments or discussion around technology innovation. I think our appetites for failure has got shorter somehow. I think the speed to canceling or the speed to ex accepting that something is it should be written off and never used ever again, that speed or that distance has never been shorter. I read so many comments saying, oh, well, you know, technology failed in the past, so we're not going to do it again. I said, well, because it didn't work last time, that means you're never going to innovate ever again, or you're never going to experiment with anything else again because the first time it didn't work. Um, that mindset boggles me, as, as again, as somebody who works in technology and innovation, that people are so quick to write off or give up technology innovation as a means forward. Desperately frustrating to me. I'm, I'm sure you feel it too. But what I do want to get to next, Massimo, is to talk through some examples. And genuinely, I believe that Bulgari have put out some really interesting products, some really novel and meaningful applications of Web3 technology in line with your brand. I'd love if you can take us through some examples that you're proud of or some of the recent examples where you've been using Web3 technology in isolation or in combination so, so we can help the audience understand what is it that you've been doing with, with Web3 blockchain and NFT tech. Well, the... The first one, it's really in line with what I told you, storytelling, test, and also sometimes 
things happen because the stars are aligned in a certain moment. Mm, the, one of the most important projects that we have done was the is the um, uh, NFT connected with our um, Octo Ultra Thin watch. So the product was is a, the thinnest watch in the world. Okay, now it's the second thinnest, but that's not relevant. It, it's a it's a beauty of a, of a machine. It's super thin, and in the, on the barrel of the watch there is a pattern that by chance is a QR code. And because of that, it's a mechanical watch. So there is no, uh, let me say, um, type of uh, real connection. It's not a connected watch at all. It's a full mechanical watch, but there is this barcode. So what we thought, okay, what is the storytelling here? What do we want to give to a customer who is able to spend more than $200,000 to buy a watch like that? He wants something more. And what does it want? It wants a meaningful Web3 approach. And our idea was, okay, let's, because there is a barcode, that is a window or is a door that uh, can open on uh, contents. So when you scan this uh, QR code, you basically enter on a mini website. And on a mini, this mini website, you scroll the website and there is all the history on how uh, these, uh, we arrive to the concept of this watch. So there is all the, all, all the cre creativity and all the creation process of our creative director from the first octo to this octo. And at the end of all this story, you have an NFT. An NFT, which is, again, is a, an artistic creation of our artistic director, um, which is something that you can enjoy on your phone or on, let me say, on a, on a frame, but it's something that you can talk about. It's an additional layer. And why it's so important? Because again, in the storytelling is that this, the watch is so thin that it lost the dimension and lost the physical dimension. And we add a digital dimension. And this digital dimension in reality is creating a, an intimate connection between the customer and the designer of the watch. But we also wanted to be, we want to stay away from the speculation. Now, at that time, this happened almost one year ago, uh, it was really the big hype of NFTs. And I was extremely concerned by that. Uh, our products are timeless. You buy the product and they don't lose value, they increase value. So I didn't, I didn't want to be on this roller coaster. So we work together with Aura, Aura that is uh, no, the consortium of uh, LVMH and Polygon. And we have actually patented what we, uh, we think was one of the first example of soul bonded NFTs. So we wanted an NFT that is connected forever with the product, that it cannot be sold on a marketplace. We don't want to be there. That's not luxury. We wanted only to please the customer. And if the customer is going to sell the watch, in reality, now the NFTs goes together with the watch because the private key, the, the, the public key, now I'm not entering the detail of that, but the point is that there is an intimate, uh, everlasting connection between the product and this digital dimension. And that is, a, that is a, a, an additional experience on, on the watch. And once we did this, we wanted to do the same on uh, the other part that is the pinnacle of our assortment, this high jewelry. So you see, we are not doing NFTs on, let me say, the average or basic part of our assortment. We wanted to play Web3 only on the top, on the pinnacle of our, our offer. Because again, it was a way to enhance the experience. So we created two uh, uh, collaborations to have a, two other NFTs connected to a million, two million dollars uh, um, pendants, uh, ruby and emerald. And again, there is a, uh, it's, it's an NFT, is an artistic creation that uh, show you how from nature, these uh, um, design become then somehow the, the design of, 
of, of the product itself. And then we did a third one, which is what we call the impossible product. That is, in reality, this is a, a jewel that is impossible to create because it comes from hurt and is surrounding a beautiful woman. And this is not going to be sold. This will be part of our heritage. While the other two have the same technology, same bonded technology of the watch, okay, with, with some differences because there is no uh, barcode. But what is the point that we wanted to add? We use another technology that is used in many museums uh, of digitalizing uh, artworks uh, where you have a screen, I mean, any dimension you want, and you create a beautiful frame surrounding this, uh, this uh, sort of digital painting. Because we thought that if you buy a million dollar piece of jewelry, maybe, maybe you have a couple of villas somewhere, and maybe you want to uh, put on the wall an artistic artwork that is really completely, it's very precious. It's not a TV, you don't even see that. And of course, with the technology inside, uh, with an anti-tampering thing and, and whatever. So again, it's a storytelling and it is an, an announcement that goes beyond the moment that you purchase the product and gets you the possibility to share with, uh, with your friends uh, uh, your beautiful product. And then of course it opens to a lot of other utilities. For example, in the watch part, you know that watchmakers in the past, they used to create, especially high-end watches, some special characteristics, mechanical characteristics in the watch, but nobody knew it. Only when you open, you discover that it's something special. We did the same. We have introduced in any, in these, uh, all the NFTs, something special. We're talking about 10 pieces no? overall, overall. So it is something special. So th this was our way of thinking how technology be could be easy for the customer, almost invisible, because you don't have to, be, to have any friction while you don't want to go on a, on a marketplace to buy. I mean, today already buying NFT, it's not a fantastic experience. It will improve, but we didn't want to be there. We really wanted to do something that was enhancing the customer experience. And the technology is almost invisible. Listen in carefully, people. This is storytelling with utility and objectivity layered through it. And I, I wish I could hear every brand that's doing a Web3 launch talk with this level of clarity and precision. Because what I've heard, I, I, I'm, again, I'm going to wheel back a little bit because I heard a few different things that I think are really important to double down on. The, the first one is the link between, you know, you talked about your products being timeless. The, the Octo Finissimo is, is a beautiful piece. When I first, when I saw the first advert for it, I thought that that's the nicest watch I've ever seen. If I had $200,000 to spend on a watch, that's the one I'd get. Um, or if, if someone said to me tomorrow, I'm going to gift you a watch, any watch you want in the world. That's the first one that I looked and I thought that's, that's beautiful. That's a piece of artwork. What you talked about though, with that piece is perpetuality that it that it, it goes forever taking something out with the physical proportions and adding something back with digital proportions you're saying that the that the content you created is a celebration of the process to get to the to get to the piece to get to the octo watch itself so taking some of the you know money can't buy inside exclusive information content around how are these pieces created the art the design the process, the expertise, the manufacturing, whatever it is you chose to put there. And you used a blockchain or perpetual storage for that because you want that content to exist forever in the same way you want the art, uh, sorry, you want the, the jewelry or the watch to exist forever, which I think is, that's not saying I'm going to, I'm going to launch a token that can be traded. It's saying I'm going to use perpetual storage and the link between the content and an item, a device an internet of things piece to, to make that link and then to, to enhance the perpetuality of that. I think that's really powerful. The second bit I heard was again around using something that, that not everybody in the world can have. You know, a lot of the NFTs, a lot of the profile picture related content, a lot of the art projects out there are generative art, right? You have 10,000 and they have different parameters and so on, and you get the AI or the machine just to generate them. And then off you go and you launch them and you create a community. What you talked about there in terms of having the very limited run 
very exclusive um, art, digital art pieces that can be either collected or, or bought as part of the, the product experience is you are giving those customers access to your, your most experienced designer. Somebody who is responsible for making million dollar, $2 million art pieces has created something digital with a very limited run. I'm assuming because this person's incredibly busy and that, that is something that you can then you know, not have in isolation because maybe Bulgari at this point in time doesn't want to be a digital only jewelry business or a digital only fashion business. But that gives those people who want extreme luxury, extreme exclusivity, who have a real passion for Bulgari as a creative brand, access to something completely different. Which again, if you are a brand listening into this, that's a way that you can demonstrate your expertise, give customers something that money can't buy, and again, create something that is in keeping with the brand story, which for you is timeless and perpetual. And, and nowhere in anything you said before did you say the word blockchain or immutable or wallet, right? A lot of the buzzwords that we typically hear, you spoke in customer language, you spoke in customer needs, you spoke in the places these people were in their villas or in their homes. When they're with friends showing something, okay, you said showing off and yes, for a segment of the addressable audience, the showing off aspect is a part of it. But then also some of the other needs around you know, perpetual, timeless, something that can be handed down from family to family so that something doesn't get lost. Right? The content or the story around, around watches that you know, people trade now that are 40, 50, 100 years old, if you're lucky, you've got the original certificate of sale or the bill of receipt. <laughs> right? If the website goes down or if you know where, wherever the original product video was on YouTube doesn't get renewed, where does that go? And I think Web3 and, and, pro and products like IPFS or Filecoin will allow us to be able to keep data and content that's important to the world in a decentralized way such that it can exist for as long as there are servers on a planet, right? And so- Another word I use, Anthony, is mm. intimate connection. That is very important because normally technology, it's more impersonal. We are trying to do, we try to do exactly the opposite. We wanted to create a, not only a personalization in a sense that I know what your desire is, because somehow even uh, all this uh, intrusion in our private life, you know, uh, sometimes you don't want to be recognized. But in this case, it's an intimate connection. It's one-to-one. And then I really, my only objective is to give you additional reassurance that you bought something special, unique. And whatever you are going to even, as you said, pass through your family, that story will not be lost because it, it will be connected with the object, with the product. That is super important, in my opinion, in the way that the technology is enabling a timeless dimension that might be lost. I mean, the physical dimension remains, but what about all, not the conceptualization of the creativity that is surrounding the, the product? That's- Yes. That, and history that is data. Right. And, and what and what what are blockchains or you know perpetual storage really good at being able to make sure that we don't lose valuable data that doesn't in this case doesn't have to be a token transaction between two parties in this case it can be the history the content that relates to an art, art or jewelry or fashion or luxury piece and on the topic of intimacy I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be fair in saying we only want to talk about the blockchain and token stuff because blockchain and web3 aren't the only technologies that that bulgari are using help us understand or you had a particular example where you are looking at multiple technologies to enhance the the intimacy of the experience or the sensory experience yeah. that your customers yeah. get get to get to go through take us through it please because I, I really like this one yeah i mean the more we go the more yes we, we follow the hype but uh, we understand more and more that uh, we are talking about uh, experience innovation our innovation it has to be focused on experience and if you this you normally you have to put together different technologies so in this case this is a project that we presented a few months ago and uh, we wanted actually to provide to a, a a product that is our beautiful fragrances 
that is a product that by the moment you use it, it disappears. It's not a physical one, you know? And so we wanted to give more dimension to this. And uh, so what happened is that uh, you uh, are welcome in an experiential room. And uh, of course you have a, the possibility to smell the fragrance, but also we want to leverage on different senses. We wanted to add other senses. So you are in this uh, room uh, where you have beautiful videos that explain you uh, what is behind the uh, inspiration of uh, that fragrance, how the different ingredients have come together to create that beautiful fragrance. And at the same time, we are using an haptic technology. So you have actually the physical bottle of the, the, the perfume that you can uh, hold in your hands. And then you can feel, and you see the, the video that we are putting the different ingredients. So you can feel it is, uh, oh, it can be liquid, it can be uh, something material and so on and so on. But then, and then we have the music, the, the sound, so important. And all these dimensions, so the olfactive dimension, the, uh, the touch and feel, the music, the video, they are recorded because when you enter, we give you a very simple, not invasive uh, tool, which is not an Oculus, but something really that you don't, almost don't see. And we try to register your heart and your brain. So how you are processing all this information and you, the feelings that we are generated to you. And all these then are given to an AI engine that is creating an artwork, a personal artwork that it becomes an NFT. And then if you want this NFT, you can redeem the NFT. And this, is, this, this becomes a great experience. It becomes a, let me say, also a, a fantastic CRM tool because perfume, not always they are sold in stores. They are sold through the travel retail, business partners. In this way, we can have, we can reach even the customers that do not touch our stores, but we give them a memorable experience. And now we are working on even other experiences like, like this, where once you start with a single person, why don't you put two people together? No, and then uh, could be more an engagement type of, uh, of uh, feelings when there is an exchange of present. But we started with this. So many different technologies, all easy and all surrounding uh, the human, the person, but with the only purpose of giving them something more meaningful than the normal transaction I pay in a buy product. So that, that. that was another experiment that we have done and it's actually is doing very, very, very well, very well. Everybody else, wind that back and try and find anybody else who talks in an interest, as interesting a way about what is a metaverse-like experience with multiple technologies in a better or more compelling way than Massimo does. I really, I love that because you describe the emotion, the product connectivity, the experience, the senses. The bit at the end there where imagine what we can do when we have two people with those goggles and we're testing their heart rate and the AI creates some, some artwork. That one can go to some interesting places that would probably not for the kids listening in, but I'd love to see where you guys take that one. Um, and again, multiple technologies trying to create something different that is personalized, that enriches or elevates your experience and engagement. And it, maybe it's not something that everybody's gonna be doing in their home, maybe it is more of an in real life or in-person experience. But I think that's innovation with a, with a purpose. And I think that's great. Let's go to a few questions from the audience. We've got some really good ones here. So a question here from Muhammad. I'm going to try and shorten or abbreviate it a little bit. Apart from the value proposition, are there barriers or complications relating to finance, legal, or tax, as well as supply chain, IT, and innovation when you're looking at Web3 or blockchain or NFT-specific propositions? How, how are you bringing the rest of the organization along? Very good question, super good question. In reality, we are the best friends of the legal department. Whatever you do in Web3, it has to be, we always have a member of the legal department that is, that is part of the project. The more you touch the customer, the more you touch the feeling of the customer, the more you have to be extremely careful the way that you interact with them. 
The most important thing is that when you make a process, a, a promise, you have to deliver. If I promise you in a certain experience, mm -hmm. I have to be sure that what I have done can be uh, maintained in the future. And that's why, for example, we, of course, we use the, the blockchain that is, uh, uh, we know, I mean, timeless, immutable, whatever. But also, if I created a digital dimension for you, I take the commitment and I put in writing that this digital dimension, Bulgari, will always uh, maintain the, not only the access, but even the, not only the modernization of, of, of that dimension. So super important, uh, not to mention crypto, not to mention, again, even in the blockchain, uh, we put together two smart contracts. We created a, another smart contract. Uh, we, we went through the patent process. So legal is a fundamental ally if you want to do innovation, fundamental. Really good. And again, a very good example there about, you know, what does it mean to support technology in perpetuity? Right? How, do, how do you get your CIO to sign up to that? Or how do you get your legal department to say, you know, we will have a contract forever. And I've, I've seen other projects trip up on exactly that particular dynamic. So um, interesting that you've that you've been able to at least address it and accept accept it and move through it with your in-house team. Here's a good question from Elizabeth. Um, her question is, how would you suggest a fashion brand to start to assemble a Web3 team? You know, that's a difficult question, of course, but uh, you need passion people. You don't need a huge team. You need a very agile team, but you need people who really want to do this job. You need people who are curious, people who are always looking at new technologies because th there are two different time axes. The company is working on a time axis, but the, the innovation team has to, has to work on a, a time axis that is at least six months, one year before. It's not like a research and development because you have to understand where the desire of the people is going, now where the behavior of people is so my suggestion is that you have to start small, um, but as soon as you can, you have to involve the rest of the organization. What we have done, we have created a community, a very simple, uh, let me say, web page, where you have two, two, two simple choices: inspire me, or I have an idea. Very simple, and you will be surprised how many innovators in the most strange department you can find in supply chain or in finance, in legal. So my suggestion is that you start small and you try to create an up and spoke type of, uh, of process because you cannot do everything by yourself. Most of the ideas will come from the others. You then probably will have them to connect the dots but the ideas are, are coming from them. So my, that, this is my, my suggestion. Then really how powerful. to launch an NFT, it's a different story. The only thing I can say is in line with your DNA. Do not try to copy a, a fashion brand if you are luxury. Do not try to, uh, to do the opposite. I mean, everything has to have a meaningful impact for the customer. Ask yourself why the customer should want my NFT. How am I going to reach this guy? This is the, the fundamental question that you have to ask. Love that. Back back to solid principles and, and back to your first point around how to how to identify innovation, how to curate it within an organization. I think that's very in line with Web3 principles in general, actually, is not to assume that everything exists in this sort of monolith of, of a group that have to have all the good ideas. Actually, the more that you can inspire, the more you can seed ideas or capabilities that can enhance product, the more the rest of the teams can, can buy into that. So I think that, that's very, very powerful. And a, a related question here from Marina. She asked, how are you measuring success of your experiments with Web3? Hmm. Big question, big question. Um, and there is not a, an easy answer. Um, I can tell you what we've done because it's very difficult. Uh, unless you get to the point where you're able to generate revenues, 
For example, there is a beautiful project that done by Tiffany uh, with um, the uh, CryptoPunk community. Uh, they have created uh, this uh, project where you can buy uh, no, the um, dependent. I mean, you buy the NFTs, which give you the redeem to, to get dependent. That's that's easy. They made twelve million dollars. Boom, done. In our case, we didn't want to be part of the commercialization of NFTs. So for us, was was more. Look at how many um, press we have generated. Um, for example, how, how much, how, how many, uh, how much visibility we got, uh, and how, how, many, how much spontaneous press releases we had, just because they were interested in what we have done. So there are no real uh, metrics, uh, and we are experimenting every time. For the experience for um, the perfume is how many people are going to redeem that the percentage. And uh, then you might ask, where is the threshold? What do you expect? 20% redeem, 30% redeem. I can tell you that we are much above that. But uh, I think every project deserves a different type of metrics. There is no golden rule that solves all the problems. I think that's a really good one. I've talked with some brands before around the concept of customer lifetime value around this, because as, as you're describing, this is innovation. This is potentially, a, in some cases, identifying new customer segments or making a luxury brand available, potentially at a different price point or at a, di at a different type of engagement that may over the lifetime of that person, maybe they're in their 20s today, but maybe over their 30s, 40s, if they've if they've created an association or a positive association with Bulgari as a, bland, as a brand, what does that mean to them over 20, 30, 40, 50 years of existence? Right? When they're buying a wedding ring, do they immediately default to Bulgari? Or are they, are they thinking about other things? When, when they want to try in the next perfume, are they associating or is their first choice to say, well, I'll go to the brand that I feel like I have a connection to, or are they just going to go to the shop and try 100 brands? Because, I mean, I've tried perfume um, sampling before. And if you get beyond three, it becomes a bit too much and you have to go outside and, and start again. And so the, the potential lifetime value calculations, particularly in luxury, if you're able to create even 10, 20, 30 of those, of those positive impressions early could be enormous, right? But tracking the actual implementation, the reality of that, being able to attribute that lifetime value five years, 10 years from now, back to a web three or NFT related campaign, Super hard to do. Super yeah, hard Anthony, to do. You also have to be extremely careful because innovation is never short term. You have, if you want to do a project that is giving you results short term, it's, it's one aspect. But in luxury world, we know that there is a generational shift. And this, this game is going to be played in the next 10 years. So it is important also that we do these projects and we show that we speak the language of that generation that tomorrow will be 40% of the uh, luxury market. I don't want to wait that one day they, they either they think that uh, they change their mind and they, they decide to, to look at Bulgari or they might look at, at us like uh, not the brand of the grandparents. We sometimes you do this only because you are adjusting your way of communicating with them and you are telling them that they are relevant for you. Very good. And again, you know, you you don't necessarily want to go out and start being. We are, we are going to be the official brand of the, the crypto degens, yeah. and that's something that we are going to hang our hat on because there is the entire rest of the segment of every other country, geography, sub segment, high net worth individual classification that you can pick. And maybe just because we love Web three, that doesn't mean necessarily that that's the most attractive or most viable segment for you guys to go after. With a minute to go, I have one last question for you, Massimo, if I may, one to close the show on. What advice, finally, would you give to other brands, hopefully not your competitors, but other brands looking to engage and make use of Web3 technology? In general, I would say that you really have to identify the areas where this technology can give you an impact. So what new clients or audience now you want to attract? what type of richness you want, um, how you have to decide how the brand now will be uh, 
type of what type of experience could be metaverse launch, could be a physical space uh, in augmented reality. Um, what type of participation of co-creation you want for the customer? Maybe you want your customer to be part of your creative process, uh, but you have to also ask how. No, do I get the product to the kind to the customer in this new way, and how do I manage the ownership and how do I manage the resale possibility of that, and how the clients will use the product in a new way, and how this is going to generate a loyalty and a reward for the customer. If you give an answer to all these questions, starting from why I do it. I think then you will find your strategy. There is no mm, magic uh, uh, recipe for that. But for me, if you give an answer to all these points, then you will have your own strategy. And there we have it. Asimo, it's been a pleasure listening to you speak. I'm sure that the people listening in got a huge amount of value from this conversation. There were a million questions that we didn't get the time to answer. So thank you for everybody who did ask their questions. Thank you for the guys who contributed. And Massimo, again, thank you. Huge thanks to you for sharing what I think is an incredibly objective, well-reasoned and relatable way of thinking about technology innovation. Thank you very much. Have a brilliant Christmas and holiday break when you get there. And thanks again. You too. Thank you very much. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, guys. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World. Stay safe out there.